Welcome to the Young Professionals Shorts, or as you may hear us call it, YP Shorts, where we explore the journeys of successful young professionals from a range of industries. In this special series, we bring you an in-depth interview with our guests who have achieved remarkable success in their career. To make the most of the insights and experiences that our guest has to offer, we've decided to break these interviews down into a short series of episodes. Each episode will focus on a different aspect of their story, giving you a chance to absorb all the information and truly understand what it takes to thrive as a young professional in Lancaster County. We highly recommend listening to these episodes in chronological order as they build on each other to give you a comprehensive view of our guest journey. From their early experiences to their most recent successes, you'll gain valuable knowledge and practical tips that can help you take your own career to the next level. So whether you're a young professional just starting out or a seasoned veteran looking to stay ahead of the curve, this series of the YP Shorts is for you. Tune in, listen, and learn from the inspiring stories of our guests, one episode at a time. Let's dive in. I'm in the studio with Timbrel Kiati, owner of Kiati, a high-end designer fashion and lifestyle label that focuses on uplifting women and artisans around the globe. Timbrel is an entrepreneur, a textile designer, and a friend among many other hats she wears in the community. Welcome, Timbrel. Thank you, Ashley. I love being here. You're like such a great hype girl. (laughs) (laughs) You are awesome. So you deserve all the hype in the world. So just to get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a first-gen Indian-American. I was actually born in India and came to America when I was three months old. I am basically the only Indian left in the family because everyone else was born in America. I grew up in Texas till I was five and then came to Lancaster when I was six. And I've been here ever since. I love Lancaster. It's home. I love seeing the changes Lancaster has gone through in the past few years. I actually moved to India after college, and that's kind of where my journey really began to find out who I was. That's great. And I know that you love India so much and your whole family does. But specifically, when you moved back, I mean, you continue to return to India on a regular basis. Can you talk a little bit about navigating the tension of like India is your homeland and America is your home? Yeah, it was really hard growing up because I was in such a community that didn't have diversity. And then when I would go home, it was just India, like Indian music playing, Indian movies. My mom really pushing the Indian culture on me where I didn't feel like I knew it until I moved myself and really got to experience it myself. And I think what I took in is India is my motherland. It's like a mother. It's comforting to me. And it's a place that I feel safe in. And America is my home. And it's a place that I am building my roots in. And I'm able to grow a home, but I'll always be attached to my motherland, just like you're always attached to your mother. And that's how I see it. That's a beautiful metaphor. I love that. So you were stuck in India. You went on a business trip. COVID happened. It turned into 142 days. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your experience? Yeah. So I was actually going to India for the first time with my whole family. We were going to do a family trip for two weeks and then I was going to go back to business. So I just remember I have to share this because it's one of those moments that like when you look back, you're like, man, maybe like I was supposed to learn something from this. But from the moment this trip started in D.C., everything was going wrong. The flight did not show up on time. 
because the pilots were stuck in a different airport and had to Uber. By the time I got to Newark, my brother and sister, actually, their flight was leaving from Newark and I was going to meet them there. We were going to go on the same flight. Well, I got off the flight, started running to my gate. My sister called me. She's like, they're literally closing the doors. As I get to the gate, the doors are closing. The flight is leaving. And my sister is like basically waving to me from the window. And I'm standing there like crying because I'm like, how do I find another flight? Got stuck in Newark for a day, got the next flight. And that was kind of the start of the whole I Just felt chaos. Like journey. It was <laughs> chaos. Yeah. And less than three weeks later, we're like locking down the country. And I literally was going back to the town I was going to start working in. And I was homesick. So I went to visit my mom and that I got stuck there with her. And it was just so crazy because that time in the world was chaotic and you didn't know what to expect the next day. And I think the people we were around was a very small village and everybody just basically lost their livelihoods in less than 24 hours. I mean, these people live day to day, you know, they go to work, they get the money they can for that day, and then that's how they afford their lives. So to see that around me, it was heartbreaking. And within about two weeks, we were kind of the space where people would come and say, do you have money? Do you have food? And we would give it, but like, how many people can you feed at one time? So I talked to my dad while he was in America. And I was like, I think we need to just start a food bank. I think people need it. And so he's like, okay, what all do you need to do? And at that time, India basically was giving people these cards. Every family got a card. And that was the card that they were allowed to leave their house at the time to go get groceries for the day. So the grocery stores were only, well, it's like grocery markets were only open from 5 to 5.30 in the morning till 9 o'clock in the morning. After 9 o'clock, no one was allowed to be on the streets. If you were, the cops would come, they would beat you up, they would take you to jail. It was chaos. And so we had to go to the police officers. We had to like, try to get them to approve this food hub and tell them what we wanted to do. And it took a few days till they said yes, because they didn't know if we had the infrastructure and the volunteers to help. But we did it. That's awesome. Yeah, it changed my life in a way that to just feed people, you know, like the lines of people that would just come for their meal for the week and the vegetables. And it was pretty cool. And I love that responsiveness. You looked at everything that was happening around you and you saw a need and you figured out what you could do to help and support those around you, which is incredible. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think we have the power to make changes if we would want to make changes. We don't have to change the world, but just changing our community is the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. And so speaking of those that need opportunities, you employ women and artisans around the globe who are looking to improve their opportunities. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to travel to these other countries and work with those artisans. Yeah, I love it. I think the biggest advice, first of all, I can give any entrepreneurs or people in business is do what you love and you will just feel so inspired every day to go to work and do what you're doing. And that's how I felt. And I feel when I go to work, I get to go and meet these artisans and really learn how to maneuver with language, how to maneuver with customs, and also be able to praise them and what they do. Because in a lot of cultures, the handicraft world and the artisan world is dying. And they're not really given the respect that they truly deserve. And so when I go in there as a girl from America, or I tell a lot of them I'm from India too, and I just like praise them for their work and the way they just take it in, like, oh, really? This means something? Like, this is important? It's amazing. And I just love doing it. I started out in India and people are like, well, you're Indian. It must have been easy. 
No, it's not easy. I mean, every state in India speaks a different language. I did not speak my language, Telugu or Hindi, when I first moved to India. So I had to learn and pick up what I learned around me. I have a terrible accent where people still laugh at me when I go there and they're like, just speak English. And I'm like, no, I'm going to speak this language. But it's really cool to learn and learn how people are. And that's probably my favorite part. It's just like being able to be part of their journey and to make sure that their art does not die. Yeah. And I love if you've ever stopped at 101 North Queen in Kiati, you can see some of the stories that are showcased of the artisans that she employs. So I highly recommend stopping by and getting that picture of the people who are on the other side of the industry, which I want to back up a little bit. So you moved to India and you started in India. What sparked your interest in sustainable ethical fashion? The culture of India has always been a very sustainable culture for thousands of generations. And the more I started learning about the culture, the more I realized that sustainability was the core of many communities. Something as simple as, I'll give you for example, like the sari. It's about, I think, eight yards long. So a sari, most of them are made from silks and cottons that are all hand woven. Well, back in the day, when the saris were kind of getting a little ripped or, you know, kind of losing their shine, they would repurpose the saris, they would make them into pillowcases, or they would cut them up in little pieces and make them into pillows. You know, there was all these ways that the Indian culture would reuse to be sustainable, even from like using turmeric for their natural dyes. So I think that really was something that I was intrigued by. I didn't realize the big impact it was having and needed and will have in our world. But what I did realize is it was something very embedded in the culture and in the heart of the country. And the more I started to dig into it, the more I was just really inspired by it. When I started it, my parents were like, this is not going to work, you know, be the doctor we want you to be or else be an engineer. So they just thought that it was just absurd that I wanted to do this. But it's been an amazing experience. And I learned more like with each culture that I dive into, I learned how they have been sustainable in their practices culturally for many years. Plastics was not really a thing until the Western world came in and started to kind of bring these things to the culture. But before it wasn't like that. Many cultures were very sustainable. Yeah, and that's a great point. We talked about that with Melissa Baez, Sarah Payne, and Jenna Rantes in What's on Tap Lancaster's first episode of season one. And they were talking about the challenges that entrepreneurs face, but also just the way that sustainability has been part of communities, namely black and brown communities, that seems to be overlooked so often by the Western white world. And so it's just been really interesting, opened my eyes for sure about where are the true roots of sustainability efforts in the United States and around the world and who has been doing it for so long that we could learn from and uplift and elevate. So you were on a path to pursue what your parents were hoping for you, doctor. When you told your parents about this idea, what actually inspired you to make the switch? What was the moment when you were like, no, I'm doing this for me? So I actually only promised two years to be in India while I volunteered and worked there. And when I started this business idea, the two years was almost coming to an end. And I realized like, I don't want to give this up. Like I'm on to something. So I actually stayed an extra, I believe almost two years. And I just really started digging deeper and learning more. I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with my hometown that I was born in before I came to America a very small town, literally one road in, one road out. 
And I just fell in love with it. And I just knew that's where I needed to be at that time. And it's a really good feeling to know that where you are is where you're supposed to be. Because it's less searching and more is taking it in in the world around you to be a better person. What advice would you give to young professionals listening, whether they're entrepreneurs or they're entrepreneurs working within their organization and their company to make change or move forward their careers? How can they recognize that feeling? I think you know that there will be days that are hard. That's just part of life. That's part of being in entrepreneurship or even being in your careers. There will be hard days. But if you can look past the hard days and realize the big impact you're making in your community and beyond, or even in your peer center group, that's when you know you're on the right path and you should do it and do it the best that you can do and give. And you will see ripple effects around you where others are also able to follow in your path to be the best that they can be. I think that's the most important thing. You know, I think of like when people now see me, they're like, oh, you're the girl that has Kathy and you're the one that got stuck in India. But all those stories are who I am as a person. I am a helper. I'm a change maker. And I think when you look at who you are, what do you want to be? What do you want people to look at you as a change maker or someone who inspires others? I think that's the most important thing. And that brings up a great question. You are your brand, especially as an entrepreneur. How do you navigate the personal pressure that's associated with living your brand? Oh, man, it's so hard. And honestly, Ashley, I think it's harder for females than males because I think we are put under a microscope more in what we do. And so it was really hard in the beginning to know that I cannot be 100% perfect all the time. But I am trying my best to be in every way that I can. But I'm still allowed to be a human. Like, I think we need to give ourselves grace. We need to give ourselves grace to live life and to have fun in these moments. Fun that will not hurt others, but will also help us to enjoy the moments in our life. I think the hardest part for me was when I first started my journey, I didn't realize the impact that I was making when I was still buying from major retailers because it was still such a big part of my life. And as I slowly started going deeper into this journey, I actually stopped spending as much at major retailers. I even stopped spending as much when I would go out because I knew like the impact I was making, even buying sneakers, like what company brands are better or what are they trying to change? And I don't think I'm perfect, but I am trying to do the best that I can. And I think that's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And I'm curious, how can young professionals in industries across Lancaster engage in ethical and sustainable business practices? I would say first, do your homework. I think we all have something we're passionate about in this process as we go deeper, whether it's the vehicles that we're driving, the clothes that we're wearing, the food that we're eating. Do some research on those things that you're passionate about. And if there is something that you're really passionate about and you know that it's in your community, start supporting them because that is really going to help your community start making the changes to be better in those areas. So I know that a lot of people don't understand my fashion brand because, you know, it's, it's still a new concept. But the people that do understand it in our community, they're the people that just come in and will be like, OK, you know what? I want a candle, but I want it ethically made. So I'm going to buy this candle. And you know, it might be a little bit more expensive than what you find at like local retailers. But the whole point was that they knew the difference they're making. 
And so, yeah, start doing your research and see how you can impart that in your community. Friends, thank you for joining us on this podcast journey. You can find out more about upcoming Young Professionals Network programs by following us on Instagram at YPN underscore blank chamber. Subscribe to What's on Tap Lancaster on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your preferred podcast listening platform to stay up to date on our episode releases. Like what you hear? Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We are grateful to Millersville University's Titus Irvin and Blake Harvey for scoring the show. What's on Tap Lancaster is hosted by the Lancaster Chamber's Young Professionals Network. Written by me, Ashley Glenzer, produced and edited by Chris Zarnock, owner of KM Zen Creative, and recorded by Triforce Pro Audio Solutions. Stay inspired, Lancaster.